I'm, I'm blisteringly hungover. And I was texting you asking for an explanation and you were not giving an inch. I'm like, dude, <laughs> you're melting my brain. What's going on? And your response was like, yeah, pretty random, huh? I'm like, fucking no, it's not random. It's actually yeah, it's not incredibly <laughs> specific. I think about the number of songs they have that are phenomenal. We're talking tragically hip. All right, this is episode 10 of the Snow Day Pod, Snow Day Pod X. Uh, looking back on that snowy March day, I never thought we'd get here. This time around, we're talking Tragically Hip, the backstory a little bit on how we ended up here. We were kicking this around a little bit back and forth on what the next episode would be about. And I got to be honest, I was shying away from the hip. The whole thing's got so much attention and I just didn't really know what the angle was. And Lester, it was you that reined us in on this one. If we were four guys stuck in a snowstorm, which is sort of the premise of this whole thing, there's no way we're not talking about the Tragically Hip. I was watching the uh, documentary that they released that weekend, and I was thinking, yeah, for sure, this is a culturally important event for us, for our generation of Canadians, and that we would definitely be talking about it if we were sitting in your uh, sitting in your basement. Absolutely. Yeah, as, for as, sure. As soon as you said that, I knew there was no turning back. I'm, I'm anxious to get to that. Before we do that, we got to do a few uh, check-ins, a, a little update uh, on the last podcast, A, Todd Harwood, I don't know how much you guys have had a chance to get on social media, but this guy is going great guns for us. We've got an Instagram account now. <laughs> I can tell you I logged on to my Twitter feed the other day, and the first thing that popped up was a picture of me in a wetsuit. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> he's taken over the, the Twitter account, and he's been sending out a bunch of pretty entertaining stuff. And uh, he's also yep. signed us up. We've also got a Facebook page now. So we're Snow, Snow Day Podcast on Facebook. Lots of good stuff going on there. He's getting some banter going. Steve, you, you might not have even seen it, but he texted up, if you can identify this Jaguar, you get to buy Steve DeGroote lunch. <laughs> right on. I was wondering where that came from. Nobody bid on it, sadly. Top marks to, uh, to Todd Harwood. He's, he's absolutely killing it with that. Uh, we released our very first Snow Day Pod Extra. The story of Andy Wavy, it's so, uh, I alluded to it in episode seven. The story was a little bit too long for the regular <laughs> format of the pod. So I uh, recorded it and put it out. It was one crazy day. Yeah. Anybody listening to this, I would highly recommend that you go back one episode. I haven't listened to that yet. Don't <laughs> oh, remember. I just listened to that today. Oh, fuck, it's so funny. <laughs> it's I listened so to it driving to work this morning and I, I was like, I realized I was at a red light and I had the passenger side window down and I had it blaring and I was just fucking laughing my head off <laughs> and I looked over and there were a bunch of people standing at a bus stop looking at me like I was a fucking lunatic. <laughs> like you were high. <laughs> so. It's pretty crazy. It's a little different than the regular pod. So it's just me telling a story. I said that I would do a Guy Hansen update when uh, Guy was young, when he was living in Southern Saskatchewan. He was friends with Grant Devine. Am I right on that, Lester? Uh, yep, absolutely. Grant Devine, the former premier of Saskatchewan, was actually the best man at my parents' wedding. According to Grant Devine, who, as a premier of the province, we have to somehow believe has some credibility. <laughs> Guy, as a politician, we must believe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, when I was starting to say yeah. that, I thought, where am I going with this? But uh, <laughs> Guy was the Brad Pitt of Southern Saskatchewan. He had Southern Saskatchewan by the tail. And uh, the day that he got married, according to Grant Devine, there were two pews of ladies crying in the back because he was gone. 
<laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I can send you wedding photos, and you will say he's Guy a good-looking Hansen guy. Was was a good-looking dude? Yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Get that on the a, Instagram. A, a, Get that a styling, a styling-looking twenty-something-year-old when you got married. Get it on the Insta. Guy, when he was the Brad Pitt of Southern Saskatchewan, not to say that he still isn't. Sundown in the Paris of the Prairie. We kings of all treasures buried. Just before we get started, just to make sure we're all on the same page as we're listening to this, understand this is just four guys sitting around in a virtual living room having a chat because they're stuck in a snowstorm. It's not our professional selves. There's nothing here we're embarrassed about, but there's going to be a little bit of swearing and just us being us. So let's take it for what it is. All right. This is Snow Day, a podcast with Dr. George Alvarez. That I was his personal assistant. I woke him up. I made him coffee. I drove him to work. I picked him up after work. I made him dinner. I got him boozed up. Leslie Hansen, software company owner and CEO. They absolutely failed in every attempt to make it into the U.S. market. So if you are a tragically hip fan, you are Canadian. Stephen DeGroote internationally renowned speaker, author, and leadership expert. Trying to be all cool, like, yeah, this is no big deal, but it really was a big deal. And me, Bruce Krentz, the one they left behind. Johnny Fay, the drummer of the Tragically Hip in our kitchen. Let's do a quick check-in before we jump into the Tragically Hip stuff. Uh, Georgie, let's start with you. What's been going on with you, man? Well, Steve was out here last weekend for a conference, so we got to hang out for uh, a couple of days. Some mutual friends came over, and we ended up drinking a little bit too much one night. So that's kind of been, you know, the, the big story since our last podcast. And got to hang out while he worked, and I, uh, you know, was a leisure man. Stephen DeGroot, leadership guru, internationally renowned speaker and author. You're out in Calgary. What else? Where have you been? Where yeah. haven't Where haven't you been? Actually, you know, I blew through Toronto, but Lester and I kind of missed each other. Um, but, uh, you know, I was bouncing around between Winnipeg, Toronto, and got over to Calgary to do some leadership stuff and conference. Had a great, it was a great couple of visits with Georgie to connect, you know, coffee in the morning before work. Uh, was awesome. And just, you know, back here, Zane's back in hockey and, uh, you know, full swing. It snowed in Winnipeg three times already. And uh, looking forward to connecting with you guys tonight. As Actually, always. I'll add a little bit more to that. I was his personal assistant. <laughs> I woke him up. I made him coffee. I drove him to work. I picked him up after work. I made him dinner. I got him boozed up. And then got him up in the morning again. Were you like Cato, though? Did you hide in the closet and beat the shit out of him when he walked in the door? Must be prepared at all times. <laughs> Lester, you were late for the pod because you were busy clearing up a tab at the pub. So obviously things are going all right for you. Uh, let's, let's point out that uh, we are halfway through Game 7 of the World Series right now uh, while we're recording this pod. I don't know if you guys are watching it. I'm watching my place with the sound off now, but I was at the bar at the end of my street watching it. World Series has been fucking fantastic. Crazy. Or so far. Crazy. Yeah, crazy. But yeah, since the last pod, no, I pretty much have been uh, head down, nose to the grindstone in Toronto. Haven't done anything too particularly exciting. Grinding away, trying to make a buck and uh, keep things real. I, right. uh, Steve, I, I feel for you because uh, we got lots of snow in Thompson, minus 25 as I was coming home oh, from community oh, band tonight with, with the wind chill and everything. Oh. But it's, it's, <laughs> it's full on winter Snap. here. Like. 
<laughs> I know, foot and a half of snow. But uh, four short days ago, I was in shorts and a T-shirt at the University of Ottawa playing slow pitch with Donald yeah. Wong. Get the fuck out of here. Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> you cold them. Dude, you have no idea. I wake up Sunday morning. I'm, I'm blisteringly hungover from Saturday night out for Halloween. I wake up to this photo and I'm like, what's going on? I'm in the fucking twilight zone. And I was texting you asking for an explanation and you were not giving an inch. I'm like, dude, you're melting my brain. What's going on? And your response was like, yeah, pretty random, huh? I'm like, fucking no, it's not random. It's yeah, actually exactly. incredibly specific. <laughs> Is he like? Does he have married and have little donuts? Like, what's yeah, no, Krantz, you got to give us a give us an update on. <laughs> yeah. No, he's got no kids. He lives at home with his parents, like his parents. So we had arranged <laughs> this uh, this slow pitch game, right? Like he he said, come and play. I have a pickup game. I play every Saturday morning. Bring your glove. I met him there, and actually, I was kind of hungover too because my sister and I had gone out the night before, and I got dropped off there nine thirty in the morning, and. Uh, and so we get to chatting a bit and he goes, oh, do you want some water? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. He said, oh, it's over here in my bike. And so he's got a, a total commuter bike with uh, like a light and a bell and all this stuff. And then a basket, yeah, yeah. A basket yeah. on the back with like a mandarin orange yeah. box that he keeps all of his shit in. Couple of bungee straps over top and then he hands me the water, but it's in a plastic bag so that it'll stay a little bit colder and won't get all his stuff wet. <laughs> oh my god okay so hold Nothing on, hold on, hold on. and then partway through he gives me some random chocolate like half of an old chocolate bar he's like you want some chocolate yeah i always bring chocolate to slow pitch then he just energy. pulled out of his pocket unwrapped it was half wrapped it was like rations and i i thought well i haven't e- i haven't eaten oh, 12 yeah. hours and my head hurts so chocolate sounds great you gotta walk walk this back for me i don't know if you were explaining this to steve before i got into this call but <laughs> You went to Ottawa for some other purpose than meeting Donald Wong. Yeah. How did you know that the Wonger was there? The last time I talked to him, he was in Ottawa. Last sighting. Figured and how many years ago was that? 15, maybe 20. Like. <laughs> Holy fuck. That's <laughs> awesome. So you Googled Donald Wong, Ottawa. Yeah. And what, you got like a phone number or did you find him on Facebook? or how did No, you he's him? not on Facebook. He's on no social media. That adds to Steve's he theory no that he's running a mafia. He has no social even better. Print. He's running some sort of mafia. <laughs> so what did you pull up for him? Like, uh, How did you find him? It was a, a work email. It turns out he works for the federal government. And so like I was saying, I just shot him an email saying like, are you the Donald Wong that grew up in Thompson? And he, <laughs> he jumped all over it. <laughs> and so he still lives at home with his parents. His, so pa- his parents hope- live with him. Yeah, right? he, oh, he moved okay, them okay. out. He okay. moved them all from yeah. Yeah, oh, when they retired. That is fucking awesome. Well, I'll tell you what. He looked great in that photo. Like, he looked fantastic. For sure. It was no, the same. It was like no time yeah. had passed. I remember playing video games and Donald Wong in straight face looking at me saying, well, one day I'm going to be taking care of them. They better be taking care of me now. <laughs> like he said, like culturally, I will be taking care of my parents. My favorite memory, <laughs> my favorite memory of Wong was the experience of phoning his house. Yeah. Oh, and when his sister answers, almost yells. 40 years later, like 35 plus years later, yeah, I still remember his little sister just putting on the phone, Dono, <laughs> come over here to the phone, someone wants to talk to you. And you know what's hilarious, Les, is when you get there and you realize how small his house is. <laughs> <laughs> that is still my favorite, uh, my favorite memory of growing up in, uh, in, in Juniper.
No, I can't believe it. That's so awesome. What a pleasant surprise. Yeah, yeah it, it was, was great. It was fantastic. Well, it was bizarre. And then we like we played 15 innings of ball. It was sort of this drop-in thing. And then uh, and then had sandwiches and oh, beer Lord, sitting out on the lawn of the university. Like, it was perfect. It was fucking awesome. I had, and then you just said, okay, nice seeing you. Pretty see much, yeah. My, sis, my sister came and picked me up. And I was like, oh, I hope I see you again sometime. See, see he, got, he, got his bike, he got on his bike and rode away. Basically, and, yeah. Uh, Unbelievable to see him. So I think we're going to try to try to give him a shout and uh, see if we can get his voice on the pod one of these days because it was just nice. It was like old times. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah, so fantastic. Let's get to talking about the Tragically Hip. You guys ready to kind of jump in on this? The central question that we want to get to is, was the Tragically Hip or are they really all of Canada's band or are they our band and kind of the band for our generation. And, uh, I mean, we saw some tributes. We saw a tribute from Justin Trudeau and, I mean, Ron McLean went on and on, but those guys are almost in our age cohort, right? So mm-hmm. were the Tragically Hip really important to anybody outside our narrow focus? And we've talked about this a little bit before. Bands that you kind of grew up with that are popular in your, you know, late teens, 20s, you, you really latch onto them more than anything else. So just before we get to that, though, I think uh, let's each throw our one favorite Tragically Hip sort of memory or something that, uh, that you feel really connects you to the band when you heard one of the songs or an experience you had or something. DVD, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it to you first. I have a couple, and I didn't want to take it away. I know, Bruce, you're going to share one because I was with you during one, so I'm going <laughs> to let you have that one. Okay. And uh, George and Les, forgive me, but you know, we've all seen the hip a lot, you know, a lot of times yep. in different, ways, different times in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the most special times is when Je- George and Les and I were in Vegas. Yeah, and it was, just a, it was a small venue. Dan Aykroyd was there on stage. I think it was the first time I was at the hip with Les and George together at that kind of at that time. And like nothing really existed. Right. It was just the three of us and uh, a really quaint venue and one of our favorite bands of all time. So for me, uh, that was probably the most special memory next to the one Bruce is probably going to share. That was for me. It was, you know, it wasn't the best show um, because there's a lot of shows that were just like more electric and and better, yeah. but to have just be hanging out with Georgie and Lester at that time was uh, was just phenomenal. Yeah, I'm going to throw it to you now, George. But this is a bit of a dirty trick because Steve just threw out a special experience that you had. So you got something else? No, no, no. I hate the band. <laughs> That's the only experience. I've had <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of granularity to that story. It is exactly the same story. As soon as you emailed that out, that's the first story that came to mind. Uh, for all the reasons that Steve said, but there was a few more. Um, it was actually the weekend that I can look back and honestly say I have never laughed more in 60 hours with friends that I did that weekend. We laughed so much that weekend. It, yeah. We just were belly aching. And then we started hearing these whispers around town of the tragically hip being in because it was in no way advertised. No, like they literally yeah. got we yeah, stumbled hundreds upon of it, other George. Canadians. The reason why that's such a good memory for me, other than it being a surprise, was because I happened to be with two guys that I'm doing a podcast with that I've been friends for four decades, and we're talking about the hip and the amount of laughter and booze that we had this that weekend. Um, yeah, that, that's probably for sure the biggest memory, <laughs> we, even though it's not the we, best show. And we stumbled across them on almost like a, like a classified ad listing of things that were going on in <laughs> Vegas that weekend, and we're like... Holy fuck! The tragically hip are playing like tonight. Let's go! And yeah, when yeah. we got there, it was it was all Canadians. Yeah, Lester, you got one more. Yep, I'll go. I'll go opposite end of the spectrum because that was actually the last time that I saw the tragically hip in concert. I think that was like two thousand nine. 
And this kind of ties into the whole theme of, you know, why this band is so important to Canadians of our generation. Because this goes all the way back to, I think I was like 18 or 19. So the first big sort of outdoor music festival experience, it was called Sunfest and they headlined it. When I look back on my youth, that is like one of the pivotal times, you know, sort of being like 18, 19 years old. Everybody I knew was there. Everybody was like drunk and having an amazing time. And the hip were on the stage. We all thought they were like the coolest band. And they were kind of our band because they weren't really big yet, but we knew who they were. And so everybody was there. And it's just one of those, for me in my life, when I look back, one of those early, well, I don't know if that's early adolescence or late adolescence because I was probably like 19. I don't know what an adolescent actually is. but At 19, you, you know, thought it was like, late. Now it feels early. Yeah, exactly. Honestly, I was young compared to how old I am now. Like one of those memories that just that that I'll never get past the importance of that band at that moment and and all of my friends. So that's my all time favorite hip memory. Yeah. Well, and, and pretty spectacular in a way, I guess that you can kind of bookend that with going to see it with the, with your your other knucklehead friends twenty five years later when you guys stumbled yeah, on them exactly. in Vegas. Yep. Probably two of your, your best later. concert experiences of your life are with that band. I'll give you mine. Johnny Faye, the drummer of the Tragically Hip in our kitchen for Christmas. So that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty strong connection to the band, I'd say. Carving yeah. the turkey. <laughs> Doing dishes with Marnie. He was going out with Andrea Lowen, who's a friend of ours, and our families always used to get together for Christmas. The Christmas didn't usually happen at our house, but for whatever reason, Johnny Faye was here at headquarters, boys. He's a super nice and guy. I mean, yeah, yeah. he won us over. Like, he was a great guy. So there's a line in, in uh, one of their songs in Thompson Girl that's uh, Christmas at 55 Degrees. Looks like Christmas at 55 degrees. This latitude weakens my knees. Thompson girl. And so we feel like we have a little, a, a tiny little piece of tragically yeah. hip lore. And in good fashion, Bruce invited me over. I was able to be a part of that. That was pretty cool, right? Trying to be all cool. Like, yeah, this is no big deal, but it really was a big deal. It was a big deal. <laughs> best, best line of the night probably goes to Dolores, to my mom, when we're all kind of sitting around chatting. And I mean, she knew what was going on, but she's not a big tragically hip fan and, and turned to him with a dead, deadpan straight face and said, so what do you do for a living? <laughs> <laughs> and I, thought, I can't wait to be old enough to pull a stunt like that. Like, just, <laughs> absolutely. It was wonderful. No one he, throws a deadpan like Dolores Grant. Yeah, yeah. Hello, I young, can, I hello young man. That. What do you do? We've all been cooing about this for two weeks. And he, of course, handled it. He's had it probably a million times. Just, oh, I play in a band. And yeah. <laughs> kind of cool. Yeah. We've we yeah. had a bit of success. So I think, though, that leads me a little bit in, into one of my questions. Are they Canada's band or ours? And, and really, where do they sit? I mean, we now have a, a one degree of separation connection to the band right steve you and i and, mm. and you guys know us right so we feel like we have a pretty close connection to them but they've basically been going back and forth across canada for 25 years so how many mm. other people have a connection like that and other bands who had sort of branched out around the world a little bit more maybe you don't have that so do you guys yeah. think do you think that's part of the lore in that that really you you feel like it's special and we totally feel special but really there's probably been thousands of people that have a story similar to ours. They're a small town band, right? They're, they were known for showing up early and hanging out late and playing small venues. That's something that made them, you know, more more Canadian and more special. Well, I think, I think Bruce, they have been, over the past year, since it was announced that Gord Downey got sick, they have been anointed as Canada's band. And I think the real question that's worth discussing amongst us is, do they actually deserve that title or not? Like, I don't think it's as much, 
you know, about personal experiences that people will have had with them, because I'm sure there's a lot of other Canadian bands like that. But do they deserve to get this holy position as Canada's band that they have been given in this past year? Or are they or are they just a, you know, a great band that we grew up with? I mean, we all we have lots of bands that we grew up with that we have memories of great concerts and, and great music and whatnot. But is there something that's actually special about them that makes them deserving of that credit? Yeah, and I, I yeah. mean, I, I yeah. would I would jump in. What I struggle with is that Tragically Hip don't have a lot of really Canadian songs. I mean, they don't have an O Canada, they don't have a Sweet Home Alabama, and very few of the songs really ever come out and say, we love Canada, right? They tell stories of people and things that are around us, because that's where they live. The David Milgard song, Wheat Kings, is a slam on our justice system and what happened to him. interested in something you didn't do we all think wheat kings it's about the prairies and we're going to rally around it it's our anthem well <laughs> no they're slamming our justice system in our, our country justice really. system. Yeah, yeah. meridian a, a little bit maybe i don't know if you could name any songs where they they stand up and say this is the greatest country in the world right that's really interesting bruce i think you're correct in what you're saying but i think most canadian fans would not feel that way because i think one of the things that people always say about them is oh, they're Canadian and they sing about Canada. It's certainly out here in Ontario, that's how people feel, right? Because they drop in references to places in Ontario, small towns and whatnot, and that's kind of built into the lyrics of their songs. But you're right, that doesn't make them pro-Canada. And actually, if you listen to like interviews with Gord Downey, he often just sort of like laughs about how he came up with the lyrics and how people afterwards would say, oh, I feel like there's this great overriding reference to this and that. And you can tell he's just kind of like, I don't know, dude, I just made up some fucking words and people love to sing them and it's great, so I don't really care, <laughs> right? Or, or at least that's the impression that I get from some of the interviews that I've heard him sing. I actually it's, heard a, a really great story from him where he was, um, the song Bob Cajun, how he came up with that is that he wanted to have something that rhymed with Constellation. So Bob Cajun, Ontario, that's where that song came up. It was on a dare to somehow put constellation in a song and so he saw this place called Bob Cajun. It was in Bob Cajun. I saw the constellations. And uh, yeah, so you're right. He's actually a little bit aloof almost in his yeah. interviews. He loves right. hockey. Like that permeates in any discussion, any interview, but in terms of being raw raw Canada, he's almost you know, a little flippant about it, like a little bit laid back, a little bit too cool for school. Um, maybe that's his appeal. Well, he's also a rock star, right? So they all kind of have to be that way. A little bit, but I, I mean, he spent the last absolutely year of his life, but the last couple years of his life uh, basically rallying against the government and what they've done with Aboriginal people and, and mm -hmm. our history with residential schools. And yes, he's trying to make our country better and rallying for the people in it. Again, not really a message of, I love the nation, right? It's, I love some of the people yeah. in it. What makes them iconic or a Canadian icon, there isn't really a set of, stat, you know, set of references for that. And I think mm -hmm. it's about, you know, we connected with them. You know, whether it's, you know, some people believe the lyrics are Canadian, you know, uh, Gordy is unique, and he is aloof, and he is a he's a he is an artist in the in the purest sense that he does what he wants. He spins things. He he has a connected disconnectedness. When I think about being Canada's band, I think about the number of songs they have that are phenomenal. I think about being out at a summer party or even at a bar, no matter what the ages are, when when Three Pistols comes on. All right. 
It, it just, people yep. just get up and they move. They know what it is. Everybody uh, it knows a, the words. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows the words. And yeah, and it's, it's electric and it's energizing, right? Yeah. I mean, that's to me, when you think about just the music, like, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, as we were getting ready for this podcast, I was going through my playlists and stuff and just reconnecting with how many great songs they have. But not only how many great songs they have, the lyrics in some of the songs are phenomenal. Like, they're absolutely phenomenal, yeah. right? Yeah. Which to lyrics me, are good. that's what makes them a band. And because they're Canadian, and they didn't venture or become too much you know, far out, whether that was by choice or poor management or whatever it was, doesn't matter, made them even more Canadian because they really were our band. Like, Brian Adams isn't like our, you know, and Celine Dion, you don't hear people talk about, <laughs> you know, they're like, what made the tragically hip Canadian was that they were home lots. And I think that's, to me, what makes them more Canadian. There's two, there's two things I want to throw to you, Steve. First of all, you started talking about Three Pistols, and I mean, you hear Blow It High Doe or New Orleans is Sinking, and you're right, our our generation goes nuts, and, and I think that's spread out. We're not the only ones that love that. But how many of your favorite songs come after Day for Night? Did did you stay current with that band, or is it a nostalgia thing? And I'm not, I'm not I mean, I'm calling you out a little yeah, bit. Yeah, no, 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 I, I didn't stay as current. I mean, I have, you know, I have the albums, and I have them downloaded. I didn't stay current, but I think it's just... Uh, phase of life and also just uh, you know a variety of interests but i go back to them right and i go and i've got some you know some of my favorite songs are on some of the later albums bruce i can't remember the name of the song we listened to this um somewhere at the cottage world container one of their yeah, greatest n- right. newer songs yeah unbelievable yeah yeah and they have a lot of great new songs uh, referencing some of those some of those older ones is more was more like, like less for me but more for the reaction i experience when i'm out with other people mm-hmm. that they can connect to it Whereas I'm out, I'll be out somewhere and someone will play a Watchmen tune and I'm the only one that jumps up and, you know, I was going, did you guys, do you know these guys? Right? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no, no a lot of their audience. And I love them just the same, right? They don't nearly have as many hits. They didn't last nearly mm. as long. Right? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I'll jump in there, Bruce. I think you guys, all three of you, are probably bigger Tragically Hip fans than I am. I was a huge hip fan when I was young, like high school, early university. They were probably my favorite band, like their first couple al- albums for sure. But I don't think I bought an album after, I certainly didn't buy an album post 2000, maybe. I don't even know if I bought one after like 1997. Yeah. Having said that, I still know all of the big songs off of their albums. Surprisingly or not, when they come on the radio in my car, I know the words to them because, and this kind of comes back to what we were talking about before, whether or not they're Canada's band, they have been the soundtrack of our Canadian generation. And I think that's why Canadians of our generation relate to them so much, because we know their music so well. It's funny because when you watch the documentaries that have been done on them and you watch the shots of the crowd, there are a few things that struck me when I was watching the other night. First of all, everyone is our age. Without a doubt, this is a generational thing. I was asking my girlfriend about this tonight, getting ready for this podcast. She's considerably younger than we are. She has no connection to the Tragically Hip. I asked her, could you name a song? She said no. When she read that Gord Downey had died, she had to think for a second to figure out who he was. Okay, so this is our generation's band. This outpouring of love for them in the last year, you got to remember, uh, our prime minister is our age. I think he's like 47 or something. So he's exactly our age. This is what I thought was the most amazing thing when the head of the CBC decided to air nationally their final concert 
even though he had paid 20 some million dollars for the rights to air live Olympic coverage that night that they just abandoned. He was also a 47 year old white Canadian male, right? (laughs) Making these decisions. You know, like you said, Bruce, our parents don't know the tragically hip and the generation younger than us don't know the tragically hip. So we're talking about a narrow bandwidth that's generational. That's probably true of most bands. I think that go, that kind of, you know, go through and connect to people. But uh, it's certainly true of this. The other thing I would say about that audience, and this is going to be, I don't know, maybe a little bit controversial with you guys when I throw it out. But if you look at the crowd shots of the audience at all of their concerts, and they probably show scenes from however many concerts they did on that final tour, 20, 25 concerts, I challenge you to count on your hands and get past your 10 fingers the number of non-white faces you see in the audience. That's fine. I'm not making a statement with that. I'm just saying that that's also, you know, it's a very targeted white Canadian generational narrow sub segment of Canadian culture that really identifies with this band. And also probably controls a lot of our media as well. So the guys that are running the the guys that are running Power 97 probably look a lot like us. Yep, that's absolutely (laughs) true. Unless when you were 19, when we were 19 or 20. Mm -hmm. The amount of music that we could get exposed to is just a tiny fraction of what is available now and how easily it is. Yeah. So, you know, Steve's kids, Bruce's kids, my younger kids, they're going to have songs that timestamp memories. Oh, that was a song this summer. That was a song at this Christmas. But I, I highly doubt they're going to look back like we are and say, oh, remember the Watchmen, remember the hip, remember... Um, you know, they're, they're just not going to do that because the amount of music that they have an exposure to just dwarfs anything that we had in their formative years. That could that could very well be true. 100 percent. And their scope, yeah. their scope yeah. is uh, is so much more international than ours. Right. We were affected by CanCon and CHTM yep. radio and Tom's whatever 92 City FM in Winnipeg. Whereas now you're right. You you click onto Apple Music. You're not you're not catching a Winnipeg band like the Watchmen unless they've four and a half hit million not to capitalize on or even you know dramatize you know Gordowney getting sick and it's tragic but what other what other canadian band would fill stadiums when one of their members gets sick like headley mariana's trench uh, the watchman the weaker thans <laughs> oh you know what right now but the yeah, arkells probably would the Ar- Ar- oh, yeah, 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 for sure but do you know what i'm getting at like we're talking we're talking a massive response that mm-hmm. can't be ignored but the other thing speaking of the demographic the group that's had the biggest impact on also has the most money right now. Uh, yep. We could afford the tickets and get out there and see them, which I think is probably played into the number of people at the concerts. There's something else I want to throw out there too, though. I went to a viewing party for that final concert. You know, a bunch of my buddies, we all got together. You know, like I said, I'm not a huge hip fan, even though I have so many great memories in my life tied to the hip. I'm not, you know, like a, I wouldn't call myself a current hip fan, but I had buddies there, like guys I've known my entire life who were our age and whatnot, who were really choked up by the experience. So I found it really interesting, right? And so I spent actually quite a bit of time thinking like, what the fuck is going on here? And that's actually why I thought this would make an interesting podcast topic. It's such an interesting cultural phenomenon, I think, that we've, we've gone through as a country since Gord Downey got sick. And so yeah. I started yeah. thinking down this path of what is it that makes us all want to believe that this band is Canada's band? Do you guys remember the commercials, I Am Canadian? Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Right. There's an interesting thing about that, right? Because those came out, I'm going to say, sort of around 2000, 2002. Those commercials are also generational specific to us. I think that's important because 
historically, like when we were young and growing up, you know, Canadians always had an inferiority complex because we were a small country, so secondary to our huge uh, southern neighbor. I love George's line. We're next to the sun. It's good. Yeah, we're next to the sun. And this ties back into the podcast we did about, you know, what it means to be Canadian. We were the first generation and something that's sort of like specific to us culturally who started to feel like, fuck, it's cool to be Canadian. I like being Canadian and I want to promote the, the fact that I am Canadian. And you can see that when a major beer company was actually doing a campaign simply built around I am Canadian. Because beer is marketed to males age 18 to 35, which we were, right? So we were the generation they were speaking to because they were realizing your generation all of a sudden wants to be proud to be Canadian. And the timing of that groundswell of thinking in society, in Canadian society, coincides with the timing of the Tragically Hip being the biggest band that we were all listening to. It, they kind of came along at the right time. They sang about Canada and they crisscrossed Canada and we all went to their concerts. We all got to, got to know them and we all wanted to promote them as a Canadian band. The second part of my argument, it ties back to what Steve just said, is if you think of big Canadian recording stars now, which is 20 years after that fact, a lot of the biggest stars in the world are Canadian now, right? Like Drake, Justin Bieber, um, The Weeknd. Even Shania uh, Right, like yep. Shania Twain, Celine Dion, right? We've gone on as a country to produce some of the biggest recording stars in the world, but at that point we hadn't. So we really wanted Canadian bands to make it in the U.S. And, and that generation of Canadian bands didn't feel like they had made it until they made it in the U.S. What I think makes the tragically hip experience culturally Canadian is that they absolutely failed in every attempt to make it into the U.S. market. So if you are a tragically hip fan, you are Canadian. Let's Draw wrap the mic on that one. Okay. I think I might need to take a knee for a second. And that ties into in 2009 or 2010, whenever it was, we're in Las Vegas and we find out that the hip, the biggest band in our lifetime, is playing in a 300 person venue you know, at the House of Blues in Vegas and 295 people in the audience are Canadian because Americans just never bought them. So every Canadian loves the hip and no one else in the world does. So if you're in a bar in Australia and a hip song comes on and people start singing from across the bar, you know they're fucking Canadian. Boom, Tying mic up. drop. <laughs> <laughs> I spent a lot of time thinking about that this summer. God, did, are you reading, some are you reading from a piece of paper? <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> like it's, this is awesome. I'm so sorry, convinced yeah. with that argument, I have nothing else to say. Wow, uh, yeah. Hey, I come prepared for this fucking podcast, George. <laughs> I have speaking notes. So I'm going to tie your two things together a little bit, Lester. I think just the, yep. uh, the, the fact that they're Canadian and that they emerged at the right time. But I really think that right around 2002, what you're talking about, either the yep. band or their marketing department started to market Tragically Hip shirts with a flag on them, right? Fully Completely didn't have a Canada flag on it. And Day for Night no. didn't have a Canada flag on it. And then it wasn't long after that that you started to see flags in their marketing. You started to see the hockey jerseys at the concerts. And they started yeah. to market very, very Canadian stuff, even though their songs weren't very Canadian and maybe the band yep. for wasn't 100% sold, somebody in their team saw that and, and pulled all that together and realized if you're a Tragically Hip fan, you're Canadian and now we're going to perpetuate this even a little bit more. Absolutely. By their yep. final tour, yep. I mean, you couldn't walk into the rink without seeing hundreds and thousands of hockey jerseys with Tragically Hip yep. stuff on them, right? 
the name yeah. Grace with the number two. How awesome is that? Like that's just stunningly brilliant. Yeah. You're you're dead on. It's kind of neat how those two things tie together. Georgie, what's your saddest memory? Well, they lost the opportunity. So I remember watching Saturday Night Live 1995 when Dan Aykroyd was on and The Hip was on. And I was in med school and I was thinking to myself, this is what they've got to do. They're going to break out. They're on Saturday Night Live and they end up playing songs that only Canadians would like. I think yep. they played Nautical Disaster. They and did, yeah. Too, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it's like Fiddler's Green. I love Fiddler's Green, but you got to be a hip fan to even know that song. And they had, they should have played, you know, New Orleans is sinking because yep. it's such a huge hype song. They would have got the crowd into it, and then everybody would be like, "Wow, Saturday Night Live." Dan Aykroyd, one of the best uh, alumnus of Saturday Night Live of all time, brings in this band from Kingston, Ontario, because he was wearing like big Canada jerseys throughout yeah, the whole I remember that. show, yeah. and they. Screwed up, yeah. or on purpose, they said, No, we're going to maintain our Canadian roots and we're not going to pander to mm-hmm. Saturday Night Live. I think, I think it was poor judgment, poor judgment they because they, they took one. the gig yeah. on Saturday Night Live. So come on, you can't stop there. You can't yeah. take a gig on SNL and go, oh, We're going to stick to our own. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to maintain, you know, our, I think we're going to maintain our own integrity and only sell out halfway here. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a little bit of Curse of the Rockstar that they yeah. always think their most recent music is their best music because they get sick of playing their old stuff and they yeah. think their most recent creative genius is what they want to be focused on at that point in time. So. And, it, and it's funny, t- looking back on time, because those performances, once everybody knows those songs and stuff, they were brilliant. Like that, their performance on Saturday Night Live was stellar. It just, the timing yeah. was the shits. Last one, I want to throw it on the hip and I, I want to believe that this makes them very Canadian. There has never been a chink in their armor. And I think that's a little bit about what makes us love them, probably as a nation and, and as a band. But you never heard about one of them stepping out on their wife. You never heard about one of them doing a solo album and everybody else being upset. Nobody ever made a mistake or they did an unbelievable job of containing that. And now their story has sort of ended with Gord Downey Pass. They have an unblemished record. Right? We as Canadians want to believe, you know, we're perfect and we're nice guys and, and we don't yeah, do no, stuff that's like very that, true. right? Their story is amazing compared to just about every other rock band you've ever seen. That's a very good point, Bruce. And I'll take it one step further. And something that I didn't know until I watched this recent documentary, they always, and they claimed it was because they were completely democratic, but I would say that it's it's very culturally Canadian. They have had a five-way split on the recording rights on their songs, which is ridiculous because it should have been Gord and the four other guys, right? <laughs> totally. Because that's who they are in reality. But they always maintained a five-person, as they refer to as a democracy, which is kind of a Canadian thing as well. They yeah. maintained being like nice guys, and they kept the band together from that standpoint because you didn't have one guy making millions and the other guys making you know hundreds of thousands. Totally. Which is usually uh, the first. Which is usually the first chink in the armor, right? When yeah, it comes absolutely. To, uh, they had a, they had a talent. bunch of other musicians yeah. in in that documentary saying, "Yeah, that's like unheard of in the music world. Like no big band does that." There Only is one thing. other band that does yeah. that, and it's U two. And they're oh, another, yeah? and yeah. they're another band that really doesn't have a chink in their armor, and kind of a lesson there. Any more thoughts on on any of that? I think I want to say less as a comment that if you love the hip, you're you're Canadian. It was pretty profound. I mean, you know, we probably got some of our American counterparts who love them too. But yeah, you're absolutely right. We we love them, and we're Canadian, and yeah. that's what probably that's probably the greatest thing that came up in this conversation that really makes them Canada's band. Yeah, right. I think so too. I think that makes them Canada's band and a Canadian band for our generation. 
they they identify us and we identify with them. I have one funny hip story that I want to throw out just very quickly. I should have got this out at the beginning, but this is the other hilarious hip memory that I have. My buddy Gerald, uh, who is a chiropractor in Winnipeg, Gerald Chartier, shout out to, to Chartier. Nice part to him is that guy. <laughs> that guy. So that he guy. went to he went to chiropractic school down in Atlanta, and this was in the early 90s. And there were a few of our buddies from Winnipeg who were all going to chiropractic school in Atlanta. And this is like in the heyday of the hip, right? When like a couple years after we would have seen them at Sunfest and the hip were playing a small bar in Atlanta and they went to see them, of course, right? Canadian, every Canadian at their school came out to see them and they ended up because it was a small bar. They ended up getting in a full on brawl in front of the stage with a bunch of the local rednecks in Georgia <laughs> and uh, full fight breaks out and uh, the band stops playing and Gorgeous says, fuck you guys. If you're all going to be assholes, we're just not going to play. And he throws the mic and they just walk off the stage and they don't play. <laughs> Sharks is the only guy I know who actually forced the tragedy hip from the stage. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. And he wears, he wears that as a badge of honor to the stage. And I, and I, I mean, we're, we're piling on now, but it feels like a stunningly Canadian move, A, not, not to jump in and make the fight bigger and worse, to just say, we're not in yeah. favor of fighting, so we're leaving, and you'll probably stop because yeah, the party's it. over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's last segment, if nobody else has any, any further thoughts on the hip, I mean, I feel like we could keep talking about them for hours and hours, and maybe we'll revisit this. A brilliant conversation. I love it. The last segment, when's the last time you, we threw this one to you, Georgie, so throw it out there. Yeah, I was wondering when the last time you guys were maternal and, you know, sewed on a button or darned a sock or did anything that your mothers used to do for you. Whoa. I'll start while you think about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because obviously I know my answer, having posed the question. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm the single dad divorcee, like three of the four people. Uh, in this podcast, uh, Bruce is the only decent whole Canadian among us. Um, and so I have to do a lot of these things. And so just last week, I had to help, you know, my daughter Zara sew on buttons and do some needlework with one of her projects. And I was sewing, you know, needle and thread. Wow, like I'm I'm doing what my mom used to do for me uh and it just and i was like wow i'm like mr mom i have to play two roles now all the time which is no problem but it just occurred to me i don't think people sew buttons anymore and they don't darn socks i just throw them away so i was just wondering when you guys did something like that like really 1950s housewife i organized a quilting bee on saturday just kidding <laughs> She had a Tupperware party at your house. Georgie, I got, uh, I did actually sew a button onto a pair of pants the other day because they were still a good pair of pants. And when you grew up in Thompson in the 70s, you didn't throw out a pair of pants because a button fell off it. I did do that and then it fell off again a couple of days later because I suck at it. But, <laughs> but when you threw this question to us, the thing that it took me to, Georgie, was, and it's not a my mother thing, but it's actually a my dad thing. So you guys know my dad passed away a long time ago. And one of the things things that him and I used to always do is go to the cottage and pack up at Thanksgiving. And so I'd go to university and I distinctly remember the calls calling him and saying, no, dad, leave the boat in. Uh, you know, I want to come and kind of give you a hand with that and go out there one more time. And these last two years, Paige has done the same thing with me. And uh, we oh, spend awesome. a lot of time out there, right? It's kind of cool. So awesome. this year she called and said, hey, dad, you know, let's go out there. And so we 
you know, did the last bit of packing up. We actually spent the night out there. And, and so it, that was one of those ones that kind of turned full circle for me. And even though you, you take on some things as an adult and as a parent, uh, that was a, a, a pretty cool one for me. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Uh, Bruce, I, I think that's amazing. It's the opposite of the cat in the cradle, right? Uh, one of the things that I love doing, so Bray is now full-time university. We're roommates. I still get up when I don't have to, to make him a hot breakfast. For me to get up, you know, he gets up at 6.30, so I'm up at 5.30 and just making bacon and making eggs and uh, fresh orange juice and making sure his coffee's on. This week when I'm home, I just realized how much I love to do that. And uh, when he thanked me for breakfast again today, I just had this feeling like, I don't ever want to stop making you breakfast, dude. Like, ever, you know? You never make me a hot breakfast when you're staying at my place in Toronto. Because <laughs> I'm usually hungover. Yeah. <laughs> or still drinking. Yeah, yeah. Still drinking. Either or. Yeah. Steve, we've all been in your mom Sandra's kitchen, and until you start making butter tarts, no. <laughs> you're not there. You're not there. <laughs> Nothing was like the butter tarts, man, rolling through your house. Yeah. My mom made me breakfast all the time. And, uh, you know, I just like, again, like you did with your dad, Bruce, and it just kind of continues. Something you value for sure. Yeah, well, I don't have anything quite as heartwarming as those stories. I don't, ha- I don't have kids, so I haven't passed on down the same things. And the one thing I did recently is I always remember when I was a kid, when we would have Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas dinner and my mom would make a big turkey dinner, the next day she would always make turkey soup, the bones. And it was like, I fucking loved that turkey soup. It was like one of my favorite things. This year, uh, my girlfriend and I made turkey dinner. We had her family here and we were cleaning up and she was about to throw the carcass out. And I was like, oh no, hold on to that. And she's like, what are you talking about? I go, I'm going to make soup tomorrow. And she's looking at me like, what the fuck are you talking about? I go, no, no, I'm going to make soup. And I actually, for the first time in my life, boiled up the entire turkey carcass and all the bones and stuff. And I made turkey soup. It was terrible. She tried it and was like, yeah, I'm not eating this. This is no good. I didn't actually like it myself either. It wasn't any good. But it was an attempt to recreate a, uh, a childhood <laughs> memory. That's something that my mom always did for me. <laughs> Just like cannibals, you were saving all the bones for soup. Okay, we got to wrap this up, boys. Throw out your favorite song as uh, as we go to rap. Favorite tragically hip song of all time. Fiddler's Green, probably. We played that at our wedding, so that's a that's a huge one for Marnie and I. I like Pigeon Cameron right now. World Containers, one of the ones that I'm really stuck on. Yeah, World Containers, pretty amazing. I can't even pick one to tell you the truth. I love the different ones at different times. It is tough to pick one. I just I'm paralyzed. Lester, yeah. what do you got? For me, there is one and only one. All right. Anytime I hear the opening riff to New Orleans is sinking, it takes me back to a special childhood place. That's it for me. That, that's the <laughs> hip in a nutshell for me. <laughs> well, wrong song, but, you know, same concept. <laughs> yeah, same, yeah. same idea. <laughs> All right, boys, this yeah. has been an absolute slice. Lester, mic drop. What a, what a bomb in the middle yeah. of the pod. Too Gets good. the mic drop award on this podcast. Uh, absolutely. I'll yeah. take it. I'll take it. Profundity personified. It, it was no longer sighting, but it was pretty sweet. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. All right, see you, boys. Awesome. Later. All right, All right, take care, guys. See you guys. All right, have a good evening. Ciao. Bye bye. Want to do us a favor? 
point your friends to Snow Day Pod when they're at iTunes or send them to www.snowdaypod.podbean.com. Find us at Snow Day Pod on Twitter. Thanks for helping, friends. So uh-